Welcome into another episode of the TD Pod. Jeff, I think my wife speaks for all of the fans when um, all the, you know, our many fans of the TD Pod when a couple of days ago I said, you know, I said, hey, Jeff texted me today and wants to do two episodes this week. And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, yes, let's go. And I said, uh, well, I told him no. Um, <laughs> so sorry for all of y'all to, to let y'all know there could have been two episodes this week. Maybe we will do two because we got a late start this morning. Um, we'll see how much we managed to get through this morning. But I'm trying to um, – Jeff has this problem that I have as well, and we have a negative feedback loop or a positive feedback loop, depends how you want to look at it, where we're incapable of saying no and basically just go hard all the time. So you almost have to, we have to put guardrails on ourselves. But, Jeff, um, why don't we uh, start by, you know, obviously give any life updates you want to, but, you know, uh, why don't we – I know you looked – you prepared a lot for that tech game, and I think you've had a chance to really kind of dive into why you think Baylor was successful – um, you want to talk about uh, what happened in Lubbock this past Saturday? Um, sure. I the better team won is kind of a long is is the long short of it. That shouldn't really surprise anyone. I think that was kind of the team that a lot of fans were expecting at this point. Um, I, you know, there's a there's a two minute overview and there's the two hour overview, and I think we're going to go for like the, the the two to twenty minute overview here, but. Um, the two things that really stood out to me were uh, how few mistakes they made. And that's, that was really evident in terms of when you go back and you watch them, particularly defensively, and, excuse me, not defensively, I'm actually going to say offensively, because the game plan was we actually want to get a lot of five-yard gains. Like, we would love to just get an unbelievable number of four- to six-yard gains. When we do that, we can keep them on the field. And when we can do that, we can put ourselves in good uh, good passing down situations so that when they want to be very aggressive, our short stuff is going to be able to pick up a first down rather than having to bust a screen or something like that. Um, and they were – all that stuff works if you can execute on a play-in, play play-out basis over the course of the game. That's really hard to do over the course of 80 plays um, offensively, and they did it. You know, uh, that was really hard to do from a secondary position for that amount of time, but they really did it. Um, I, I That was the best offensive line performance I, I think I've seen it, ever seen at Baylor. Like, it's just kind of full stop. Like, that, it, Tech doesn't have an elite defensive front, but they have elite edges. Tyree Wilson is a, a he's a first-round pick. I, I think he's probably the best defensive lineman in the Big 12 right now. Yep. Um, Say, I think he's one of those classic like late teens, early twenties type guy who doesn't quite have the athleticism of a top five pick, but is still like he is going to be a first round pick, y'all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baylor, Baylor broke even with him in a lot of ways. Galvin broke even with him on a bunch of reps, particularly on that toss play. Um, Keith, Keith was great against him in his second game. I mean, they just they played really, really well. Um, Tech's defensive tackles aren't really anything to write home about. Um, but they were able to do it play in, play out. And that that's that's really the key. Like, y'all, you don't see that from college offensive lines. You don't see that level of execution for, for 70 plays. That's an NFL level ability to execute consistently for that amount of time. Um, and that that to me was the biggest story because was Baylor's ability to execute versus Tech's because Tech and the the, the drive that I'll go back to that I think really really was the game was was the last drive before the two drives last before the half um 
first the tech drive and then, and then the Baylor drive, but the, particularly with uh, on the on the Texas Tech offensive drive, they had uh, they had two missed blocking assignments from their offensive line, resulted in a tackle for loss or a near pressure. I can't remember exactly. But then, really, the the story of the game to me was from well, I think in general, really was the Texas Tech defensive drive that last possession when Baylor went up seventeen, because on the throw that they ran, the first thing they did was they ran cover one man on a second and ten with seventy seconds left. That is extremely aggressive. That's just extremely aggressive, and I don't, I, I don't know why they would run it. I think it's a really dumb call. I'm just going to be very honest, like to be in that position where it's second and 10, you've got all your timeouts. And even if you want to get the ball back, that you would run a cover one man and not pressure in that situation was really weird because that play, if like the play, the, the play I'm thinking about right now was the was the deep ball to shape it on the slot, slot fade. Yeah, it's like Gavin Holmes. Yeah, or, yeah, thank you, uh, Holmes. And they put a safety that had no chance of staying with Holmes on him and told him to cover him in man. And that was that was a, that was great prep work by the Baylor staff to know that was coming. But it's a really weird call in that situation from the Tech defense. And so they did that. And then two plays later, they had back-to-back-to-back blown assignments in the secondary at, at the linebacker and at the line at, – uh, or excuse me, twice at the linebacker level trying to play a gap. And that really was the game. And, you know, all of a sudden they're up seven. Instead of it being 10 or uh, 10 to three or 10 to six, if they'd managed to get the ball back, it was 17 to three because they were so hyper aggressive that Baylor was able to just kind of change positions from a boxing analogy standpoint. They were just able to shift their feet slightly and land a different blow because they were so committed to one way or the other. So um, that. That's that really is it to me in a nutshell. Baylor, it's not even a nutshell, but Baylor out executed them. That's why they won over the course of the game. Baylor out executed and made far fewer mistakes. Yeah, um, a couple things came to mind when you were talking there. Uh, when you were talking about the offensive line performance and and saying how rare it is for college kids to be able to execute on that play in play out basis, a um, couple things come to mind for me there. First, you know, this uh, I love hearkening back to old TD pod episodes, but, you know, I know one of the things we've mentioned several times before is that what makes what makes the NFL offensive lines, NFL offensive lines is the fact that they can basically reliably execute, you know, 78 different schemes that they practice all year throughout camp. And, you know, they know all of the rules for, okay, if we get this stunt, that means we're going to handle it this way. Um, you just, you know, that's why there's so few kind of like big tackles for loss in the NFL because it requires kind of heroic level play at the defensive line level. Offensive lines are so solid. So this wasn't obviously Baylor's offensive line is not an NFL offensive line, but I think it goes to what you're speaking to where, you know, a lot of these guys probably are going to play in the league. And I think they're receiving a level of coaching from Grimes and Mateos that is, um, you know, pretty rare at the college level for a, um, you know, I, I listened to an interview with Grant uh, Miller that he did, a uh, uh, presser yesterday, uh, Baylor starting right guard, and he talked about how, hey, you know, it took us a little bit of time to get our feet underneath us this season because, you know, we installed all these new schemes in the offseason, but we really feel like we're able to kind of execute them all now. Um, you know, that's something 
I, I sorry, I, I'm following rabbit trail after rabbit trail here, but I think about the Texas game last year where um, under Sark, they try and run like all of these different offensive line schemes. Um, they want to be able to run wide zone, inside zone, duo, gap schemes. Like they want to be able to do it all. And you could just tell against Baylor last year that like none of it was working. And they and Baylor decided last year to go all in on this wide zone style. And then they've added these change ups. Um, you know, they had a few change ups that operated off of wide zone last year, but now they have these kind of differing schemes, including, you know, the buck sweep, um, you know, the duo, the inside zone. Anyway, so I think we're starting to see like this is what it looks like when you do it properly. Um, and this is something we'll probably get into when we talk about OU. Uh, and Venables installing his defense. But I, I think you and I, Jeff, are such big fans of the way that Grimes and Mateos chose to implement this offense last year of like hammering down your basics. They didn't try and install everything last year. And if they did, they'd probably still be floundering the same way they, they did last year. Um, and they didn't flounder last year. My point would be if they tried to do it last year, they would have floundered. I think they really installed the base offense. And now we're gonna, we're starting to see the fruition of what it looks like when you get to add all of the bells and whistles on top of a solid foundation. Yeah. I agree that. Cool. Um, and, uh, there was another point I was going to make. Um, oh yeah. I wanted to say about the, um, efficiency. Um, one of my favorite stats to look at is called success rate. And it's a, it's a pretty basic stat. Um, it, it can be a little bit mind numbing to listen to over audio, but essentially it's like, you know, are you getting 50% of your available yards on first down, 60% on second down, and then all of them on third or fourth down Baylor's success rate in this game actually wasn't very high. It was like 42%, which is basically about college football average. But I think when you look at the, this is where it's more helpful to look at drive efficiency as opposed to play by play efficiency, because there was a lot of plays in this game where maybe Baylor was getting four yards on first and 10. That's not a quote unquote, a successful play. But as you were saying, Jeff, like this game was all about like, we know we can hammer out four to six yards at a time. Um, for a lot of offenses, that is not a successful play because they're so vulnerable to giving up sacks, tackles for loss, and all of the other things. But as you said, because of Baylor's consistent you know, offensive front play with the O-line and the tight ends and the running backs, you can consistently grind out. It's almost like it almost becomes like a uh, service academy offense where it's like you, if you can consistently grind out those plays, then all of a sudden those are actually really, really successful plays. So I think that's where we're starting to see Baylor's offense become. Um, where do you see the Baylor's passing game is right now? Uh, I think we saw an emergence of, you know, how Presley had a great game. Gavin Holmes continues to average like 20 yards a catch. Um, obviously they're missing Monterey. Um, but, you know, kind of including the tight ends, running backs, wide receivers, uh, you know, and obviously shaping there, you know, where are you seeing Baylor's passing offense right now? I love the role that they found for Holmes. You know, I, he was, he was a kid that I was struggling to get on board with back in September. Um, I think he was probably just super rusty. That's probably the best way to describe it. He, he's actually someone, you know, we talked about wide receivers last week and didn't bring his name up because he's an older guy, but his growth from BYU has been great. Uh, his, his his hands a lot better. Um, he's still a bit of a body catcher, but his his body positioning is much 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 better. Um, and he's playing with a lot more confidence right now, and you can really see that in when wide receiver play, particularly with how he gets off of uh, press. You know, Tech wants to press a pretty good bit, and um, he was the only one. He was the only person that I saw. I didn't. I don't have all twenty two tapes, so I mean, I, it's it's hard to really judge wide receiver play 
really well without without that. But so you're left with you know breaking down like you know point of attack play and getting off the line you know for the most part. But uh, he was much better, and he's he seems much more confident getting off. But he seems much more confident getting off the line. I think he's Baylor's best player getting off the line. In fact. Hal Presley on that, uh, he had a catch on the down the sidelines. I think it was Q one. I can't remember um, where he had that crazy catch um, right up the sidelines on the top of the screen. And I was actually pretty shocked that he made the catch because he he wasn't able to get off the line very well. You know the the uh, the tech, tech guy put you know pushed him back a little bit yep. and reroute him off the line, and so he didn't have a lot of space in the sidelines. He was still able to make that outrageous catch, but. You know that's something that's hard for college kids to do well is to be is to be press coverage. It's hard to execute from a defensive point of view, but once you can, it's very difficult for most college students to handle. Um, Holmes does a great job with it, and so there. I think when when Baldwin's back, I think you now have that three um, three headed monster is probably a little strong, <laughs> but three headed like. Angry dog. How about that? Well, and they all they all really do different things. Well, which is really, what you want from your top three wide receivers. Yeah, they 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 really do different things. Well, you know, they have the the thing that they do miss when they don't have Baldwin. Baldwin is really their man beater right now because of his speed. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the guy that you can put on those long crossing routes when you have man coverage, and he's going he's going to run away from anyway. basically any, any anyone in the Big Twelve except maybe one or two of the uh, UT cornerbacks. Um, just from a speed perspective, but he's going to be able to run away from everyone. Presley has got, we've seen it now, he's got outrageous ball control. He's your contested catch receiver. So he's the guy that if you want to go up the sidelines or you want to run a slot fade um, and you don't think you're going to get a lot of press, like he's the guy you're going to go to. And then Holmes, they, I think the other thing with Holmes that they're doing, he seems like the guy that they're putting in a game plan for, particularly around big plays. Yeah. That would be my, that's my impression right now is that they're kind of letting Hal and Baldwin they're putting in a couple of plays for them, but really they're just asking them to run the normal offense. It really seems like they're highlighting homes in that they want they need to give an older guy the extra workload of here are here are our ten big plays. And I'll go back to the play we talked about um, to really kick off that drive right before the half. That was almost certainly a play that that was something that went into the game plan on Monday the previous week, which was they knew they expected that in in standard down situations and second and 10 is still a standard down situation, but that Joey and DeRuder were going to be so aggressive in that situation that because they wanted the ball back going after the middle eight, which is, uh, which is a phrase for the last four minutes of this first half and the first four minutes of the second half. Uh, Joey has talked a lot about that. He really cares about winning the middle eight. Um, and a bunch of NFL head coaches as well do as well. Like that's the the middle eight theory of game management is a emerging pretty hot topic because it allow there's if you do it right it allows you to duplicate and, and kind of load up on um, extra possessions, which is about the most valuable thing you can get in the NFL. Um, but neither here nor there. Coming back to this, you know, he they they really want they really wanted to win that middle eight, and so they were going to clearly they were going to be very aggressive. That's something they showed on tape. So that game plan, that slot fade, that was a very specific. If we get this look on Saturday, this is the exact play call because we we think that no, we don't think we know that you can beat the guy that's covering you because they're going to bring the safety down. They're going to put you on the slot because they don't think you're a threat. And you're going to go win this route. They, you probably have anywhere from five to ten of those um, a game. I think was it West Virginia where Holmes went off? Uh, yes, yes. 
so it was for June's the same thing. Like almost every single one of those play calls were were not normal flow of the offense calls, but game situation calls where they put put in for him. Well, I think a lot we, of them seemed like situations where it's like, hey, on this third down, we know they're going to run one of like these three coverages, um, and you're not going to know until after the snap. And so I think this is what you're talking about with like it's in the game plan. It's putting a lot on an older guy of we trust Holmes to be able to recognize the coverage after the snap. And depending on what the coverage is, run X, Y, or Z route. We don't want to put that on one of the young kids. Um, and so that's where like Shapen and Holmes's connection, I think, is developing to where a lot of times when you're seeing him target him over the middle, I think it's not necessarily a called route or, you know, I, I don't think necessarily. I think a lot of times Holmes has an option of where he's going to go depending on whether it's a probably, you know, most likely in these situations, it's, is there a, is, you know, is it a middle field close coverage? Is it a middle field open coverage? Depending on that, that's what he does. I think, I think that's, um, would you agree with that, Jeff? That's what they're doing with him. I think it's very, very likely, you know, and going back to that same, that same drive, they had the fourth and five where they had a middle of the field open and they hit homes on the um, yep. skinny out of the slot. That was almost certainly, a, that was almost certainly a, a a read coverage as well, which is if it was a single high, it was probably going to be a slot fade. And if it was a middle of the field open, it was going to be a skinny post because yep. he, he could win that route. Um, um, that play, uh, I posted it on Twitter yesterday, and I think it's a great example of um, Holmes being a good route runner at this point because on that play, you can see the tech slot defender like literally his butt is to the middle of the field because he is trying to protect that kind of uh, skinny post route that Baylor has been using with Holmes. Um, and so the tech defender is playing exactly to stop that route. He knows that the middle of the field is open um, and Hol you can't see it on the broadcast tape. You just see them Holmes get off the line of scrimmage. And then by the time the ball comes, Holmes has managed to somehow get inside of that defender. And the only way that happens is if the defender is a jackass or if their wide receiver is a great route runner and is able to get around them. And I think yeah. most likely is what happened there is that Holmes uh, was able to somehow beat him at the top of the route, which is something we talked about earlier this year. Baylor was getting press coverage um, and their wide receivers just weren't beating it. Uh, and so I think it's really uh, – you know, promising to start seeing that happen because, you know, every offense is going to get into clear passing situations and you need guys to win. Yeah. All right, Jeff, any other last thoughts on the tech game before we move to, you know, Baylor's last few games this season and moving on to thinking about OU? Um, it's weird. I don't think they've won in tech since 91. Now I, that is crazy to say out loud because that was such a long 20 years. And then of course they didn't play in, in Lubbock for 10 or 12 or whatever it was. Um, it's nice to get a win out there. I mean, at 91, I mean, what percentage of our audience is, was not born the last time that happened? Um, yeah, you for sure. Um, I mean, I, I can promise you I wasn't paying attention when that happened last time. So it's nice to go out there and get a win. I, the team the team played really, really well. And the I, I, I keep saying that, I keep saying I keep saying that. One thing I will say right before we end the OU, because I, the OU game is, well, we'll talk about that in a second. But you know, I was I was more optimistic last week on Friday, and I continue to be optimistic. But I also think that Tech played really badly in this game. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you're trying to parse out in your head how much of this was is Baylor is Baylor poised to make a run, which is I think the think that's the topic on everyone's minds is is Baylor poised to make a run the way that they were they kind of made the run last November, and the answer is uh, yes, they're poised to make a run. But how good they're going to be and whether or not they have a lapse or they have another poor game. Um, 
Tech was so bad in this game in a lot of key positions that it's hard for me. I, I can't go all in on Baylor like, oh yeah, they're there. Like real great shot at going four zero because Tech was really bad. It's just kind of full stop. You know, on the very first drive, they gave up scramble yards to Burton. Burton, no Burton Morton. That's it. Sorry, Aaron Morton. Aaron Morton. Can't get it right. They gave a bunch of scramble yards, and the reason was all three defensive linemen won right off the snap. And when something like that happens, you you can't really you can't maintain a rush line well when your offensive lineman just kind of falls down at your feet because there's no gap. Like you don't know you're not staying in a gap in a rush line. It's just free air, and so. The very first offensive line possession or offensive possession for Tech, all three offensive linemen lost off the snap of the ball, and two of them just fell down. And they like the Baylor defensive linemen almost like literally didn't know what to do because they were told, "Hey, keep this guy in the pocket," but there was no pocket because there were no offensive linemen. And so they they went for the tackle, and Morton was able to get out of it. He scrambled for a first down, but. Like that should never happen. Like you, like having three offensive linemen, two of which fall down, and like that happen on the first drive of the game is just you. Sh- you can't really play at this level. And so, like Tech, like Tech could have lost. Tech was much closer to losing that game by fifty than they ever were winning it. You know, if they played that game twenty times, based off the execution, like I think Tech wins like one of them. I mean, it is is it was bad. Yeah. Um, could the game have been closer? Absolutely. But Tech was just really, really bad in a lot of in a lot of key spots. That's the worst I think I've seen them play probably since the Texas game. Um, I don't know why they were so bad, but they they just were. So I not to like throw cold water on it as we're going forward because I actually like I'm very well, I'm like, optimistic about Oklahoma. But I, I also I do, I, I don't think Tech's good. Like after that game, like Tech looks like a team that's going to win four is probably either going to lose out or only win more. Like I don't see how they make a bowl game. Um, so I just I don't think Texas Tech is very good. So I would caution everyone from letting your minds totally run away until we get to the Kansas State game. I would just say like this reminds me of the quote you gave before the Albany game where you were like uh, I think you said it was an old Bill Parcells quote or something like that where you were like when you play a terrible team you you only find out whether you're also terrible or whether you might not be terrible and but the way you find out uh excuse me uh basically the point i'm trying to make here is that yes i think i think you're right that tech was overhyped they were uh they were i I think as you messaged me they were acting like they made the fourth down stop in the super bowl when they would just like make a tackle on second and seven um but Baylor, Baylor did everything. They, they showed us everything they needed to on their end. You can't control how bad the opponent plays, but everything as far as Baylor's mental preparation, um, their execution down to down, their seeming you know um, cohesion, leadership, all those kind of intangible qualities that you look for on the road for a team were really strong. Um, we actually got a fair number of good um, – all 22 like angles show like whenever Baylor would on all those interceptions, they tended to show like how it happened. And whenever you looked at the defensive backs, it was like the first time all year where you would look at them and like all of them were pressed up tight, not necessarily press coverage. I mean like downfield, they were all like locked in on wide receiver. So all those kind of small things that we've been looking for um, were there. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Tech was, tech was terrible. And so maybe all we know is that tech, uh, Baylor wasn't as bad as tech was in that game, but I think we're still seeing a lot of the positive signs that 
like you said, the, the, yeah. they're they're poised for a run. That game didn't tell us everything we're going to find out, especially that we're going to find out this next week. Um, but it was great to see everything that we we did see. Yeah, agreed. Okay, well, let's turn the page to the OU game. Um, kind of just finished writing both my articles this week, previewing you know both sides of the ball. Um, do you want to start talking uh, OU's defense or OU's offense first? Let's do OU's defense first because I think that's that's probably the big key to the game to me and why I'm not too I hate to say not concerned because it's an opponent, but I'm a fan, so I'm, you know concerns actually no word for me. Like I'm a fan, y'all. So, um, so the. For the for for the context, not the reader. For the context of the listener, um, I've been down on OU since the start of the year. Like I, I, I Travis could tell you all this. Like I, I, going back to when they beat UTEP in early September, I, I watched that game and thought, yeah, this team is this team is like hot trash. Like well, what you kept saying was like you were like, I wish we got to play them right now so bad. <laughs> Baylor would have won. Like Baylor, I think it was after the um, Oklahoma State, State game. game. Yeah. We were like frustrated and we were talking about this, about everything. And I was like, oh, they beat Oklahoma by 30 right now. And I, I, you and a couple of other of our friends were like, you don't actually think that. I was like, yes, absolutely I do. And of course they went out and got absolutely pistol whipped by uh, UT like the following week. Um, the big, the, the reason that they really struggled earlier in the year is that Venables did honestly what we talked about Joey McGuire not doing right. this year is they run a he run is that Venables is very well known for his defensive abilities. I think he is one of those, um, if not Mount Rushmore defensive coordinators in the college game, he's right up there. I mean, I, I can't think of if he's not in the top four, he's like certainly in the top six mm-hmm. up there with Aranda as well and and Kirby Smart and. If you, you know, I, I guess it's probably Ed Orgeron. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for me, when I think of schools, I, I, it's kind of the, you've got the Wilcox kind of Miranda system. You've got the Saban system. Originally, I would have said you'd have the Saban smart, but smart is smart is started has moved enough away with how he installs his defense now that I think it's same principles, but very different style of teaching. Very, very, very different style. Um, and then, uh, Venables, like those are kind of the big, the big names in the college defensive world. And so Venables, what is Venables believes very strongly in a very different style of defensive line play where um, they're really using the defensive line. They, they use a four down front, but they use their defensive line much more similarly to how Randa does, which is particularly on standard downs. They want all, instead of three defensive linemen really trying to, um, hold everything up for four and having the jack they just go ahead and put basically they just put the jack on the ground but it's a very similar style of or put the jack's hand on the ground but it's a very similar style of defensive line play you know in a lot of ways it's not saying but in a lot of ways it is well if, if baylor fans remember back to 2020 like none of the baylor defenders baylor hit, ran a three down front and they still really struggled from a defensive standpoint being able to um make that transition with all those run blocking techniques, particularly in run defense. And they just have, Oklahoma just has not been able to execute that all season. They've been a little better these past two weeks, but it's still been bad. And so, you know, if earlier in the season, Oklahoma just had zero chance of stopping any good run game because their defense alignment didn't know how to do it. 
And Venables said, Venables looked at the team and said, it's my first year. I don't care if we lose these games. We're going to learn how to do the defensive technique correctly. And so that's why they lost a lot of games earlier in the year. Could they have won games if they had kind of just tried to win as many games as possible immediately? Yeah, they probably could have. Um, I don't still don't think they're very good defensively, particularly with run defense, but they're not a trash fire, which is what they were in September. Um, September would have been a, I would have been shocked if Baylor had won that game, like in fewer than three possessions, honestly. Um, but it's not September because of that. And it's my one frustrating thing is that Baylor did not get to play them like the first week of Big 12 play because then that, that would have, wouldn't have been an automatic win, but it would have been close to an automatic win because they just didn't know how to do that stuff. And so that's now, of course, they can do it. They can't do it well, but they do it a lot better. Um, that to me is going to be the biggest key of the game on either side of the ball is how consistent is Baylor with that run game on the road against this defense. I don't think that Oklahoma is going to be able to stop them. Um, they don't really have the bodies to do a lot of this, and the technique is really difficult. It requires a lot of upper body strength, and it requires a commitment to the bit over the course of the game, which is the hard part. You know, it's so easy to get it right for a driver to string a few, uh, string together a few plays, but unless you know, because the technique is pretty complex, and because you're really, it's the style of defensive line play is called read react. Um, it's from Pete Jenkins, uh, really kind of popularized the style uh, back in the early 90s, started at LSU, and he's been very influential throughout the SEC world. Um, but it it's more of my technique is completely dependent upon what your technique is. Okay, so like I'm not going to show you anything because I'm a defensive lineman. My job is to react and to handle whatever you're trying to do to me the best. So if Baylor, I would expect Baylor to really mix up their offensive line play to try to throw as much at the Oklahoma defense as possible instead of going to one pitch, because I think getting them confused is what's going to lead to big gains. Um, but it's worth, to get, it's worth interjecting real quick here, Jeff, that this is literally the theoretical opposite of what Alex Grinch did at OU last year. Um, it is, it's, if y'all remember the OU game, um, you know, and McLean in Waco last year, uh, it was very much a game where Baylor was either running for like 12 yards of play or getting tackled for two yards for loss. And it's because the way Grinch plays is he tells those linemen, you don't react, attack, you attacked, react. Oh my gosh, I yeah. can't speak. That's that's difficult. Attack, react. Anyway, they're trying to get in the backfield last year. This year, it's very much that Baylor style. React, see what the offensive lineman is doing, alter your technique based on what they're doing. Yeah. Um, that's 100% accurate. And so they have a bunch of smaller guys that are built off of speed rushes and trying to get upfield and generate negative plays. And now those guys are being asked to stand up and basically hold up an offensive lineman. And they're able to get away a little bit with that when you play a lot of offensive lines that don't always want to run block. But particularly against Baylor's offensive line that got them nice and lathered up last week against Texas Tech, um, that's not going to work. And so I just, I would be very surprised. I would be very, very surprised if Baylor struggled to run the ball in this game. But I say that with this big key, um, they really need Tay back. Like, it's not, yo, it's not, Reese has been heroic. Um, it's not reasonable to ask a true freshman to carry this many yards. And Miranda knows that. Like, he's, I mean, they're saying this out loud. Like, we can't keep giving this kid, like, low 30s carries. He's a freshman. He's already carried a lot, the ball a lot this year. Um, I actually think he's a little, like, I'm not saying he's injured. I think he's a little banged up in terms of his speed. Like, he definitely, at the end of games, now you can see his lack of explosion. I think it's probably just um, 
he's not, I hate to say he's not in shape because it makes it sound like I'm dogging a kid for not being in shape. Y'all, that is not the case. The, 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 that man has got like 70 carries in the last 14 days. Like it's just. In addition to being the first team running back in practice all week. Like it's, yeah, it's a load. Yeah, it's a load. And so he, they, they need Tay back and they need Tay back in a big way. Like they, they need to get his carries back down to like 15 a game for a little while and let him get a little more rested. They need someone else to carry that load in practice during the week. Um, I know they, you're. They, I know you're the biggest hater in the world on Squirrel's ability to stay healthy. Um, but just to counter the idea that we need Tay back oh, yeah. because because I don't think they're going to have Tay back this week. So uh, be prepared for. But I think if they can get Squirrel back to at least make it to where like he can, you can give him like eight to twelve carries. That way, Reese is more towards that fifteen to twenty carry mark. Um, I think that even that just. Going down from like thirty-three carries down to twenty would be a big, uh, a big help for Reese. I think they, I, I, you know, you don't, you got to win the game, and if he's not, I think the key, particularly with running backs, is the key is if you're not injured. So let me back this up real quick. There's been a bunch of there. When I say studies, I don't mean like a guy in a lab coat. What I really mean is a bunch of paid statisticians sat around and looked at a crap load of data that we don't get to see because NFL teams keep track of like everything and have for about the last 15 years. Um, A bunch of statisticians sat around and did some like linear regression on injury rates and tried to find out like what's the most correlated thing. A big thing that I think a lot of fans have probably heard has been, at least in NFL circles, has been the rule of 370. This actually came out of uh, Schwartz, I think, and the guy that ran Football Outsiders and ran DVOA. Um, but this idea that when you get to 370 carries, you're going to be much worse this, the next year because your body kind of, it's kind of like a limit in terms of your body can only take so many carries and then your performance starts to rapidly degrade at a certain point. Um, but one of the things that that really found is that it's not a concentration of carries per week. It's the concentration of carries over the course of the year mm. because it's the repeated nature of the hits. And this is something that Rand has talked about with injuries a little bit as a side note, which is they don't they don't practice they don't go to the ground a lot during practice because injury rates are much more highly correlated with going to the ground than they are with hitting another person. So as offensive linemen, you don't see offensive linemen don't really see injuries as long as they don't ever get on the ground. Typically, you know, offensive line injuries, for example, happen a lot of times when guys get rolled up on or something like that, or they're on the ground and something happens. That's when that's when the tears and the breaks happen. If you're on your feet, you don't really get injured that much in football unless you get hit in the head or you have a soft, you know, basically a is it soft soft tissues? I'm thinking about or one of the whatever the ACLs. You're the medical guy. Mm-hmm. You're not in your head. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's been a lot of studies on that, and so going like going back to Reese. Like, it's okay that they have him for these 30, but what gets what gets a little nervous is when you look up and you see, like, he's approaching, like, 250 carries on the year. That's a lot for a freshman. That's a lot. Yeah. That's that projected at, sorry. And so you really want to be able to tamp that down as much as possible. Like, I, I would love for him to be able to get to, like, 15 to 20 so they can really kind of heavily utilize him. But it's not so much maintenance for the next game, I think, so much as it's maintenance on his body going forward. And I think that's what Arane is more, more concerned about. Um, but let's, I mean, uh, let's – sorry, I'm just kind of conscious of time here. And, uh, and uh, let's jump into the rest of the OU's defense here real quick. Um, I just want to give you my – kind of impressions of what I see when I watch them. I I, I obviously agree with everything you were saying uh, with respect to their run defense. Um, 
just kind of funnily enough, I looked at their uh, their pro, fit, pro football focus uh, numbers for them, and their uh, starting linebackers have um, ratings that are like the worst I've ever seen. And I don't think it's because those two guys, Danny Stutzman and David, oh gosh, I don't know how to say his last name, Uwebu, something like that, uh, are the worst players of all time. They were both they're both phenomenal athletes. Uh, but it's what we talked about in 2020 with Baylor with Dylan Doyle looking like hot garbage that year. Um, whenever your defensive lineman in front of you don't really know what you're doing, what they're doing, it's even that makes you learning your job as an inside linebacker. You're already worrying about what you yourself have to do. And then all of a sudden the guy in front of you is messing up. It basically makes it an impossible position to play. So I think those run fits are very difficult for them. The other thing I noticed when I, when I watch their defense, um, is I know you mentioned that, uh, you know, he's a pretty clear kind of demarcation from the, from the, um, from the Saban tree. Um, my understanding is they do run a, their, their, a lot of their pass coverages, uh, pass defenses are, are relatively similar in how they do their kind of, uh, their, their man match principles or, or their zone match principles out of cover three, you know, rip Liz, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what, one thing when I noticed when I watched them is it, it, Aranda talked earlier this year about how Baylor's defensive backs are still on the stage of, they were still in that stage of worrying about their own job so heavily that they kind of were missing the bigger picture of what the defense is supposed to do as a whole. And that's why I think you were seeing a lot of space for wide receivers to operate in because a defender would be dropping to a spot and not really understanding the route distribution coming from the offense. That is very much what I see when I watch OU's defense in the sense of they're playing a lot of this cover three and it very much looks like unless a corner has a very clear, like, Oh, I get to go mano a mano with this wide receiver. Like, if there's any sort of crossing route or any sort of kind of levels concept, it, it, I think that's where it seems like OU's defense is struggling this this year. You know, A, do you agree with that? And then B, if, if that's true, like how do you foresee Grimes try, uh, attacking kind of a, a defensive backfield that's still learning a complicated um, coverage structure? I do I do see it that way. I think that – so they, they run a man match. I think they're, they're really, for the listener, there's kind of – for pass coverage, overall pass coverage categories, or we'll use the mathematical term, we'll call them classes. We'll say it's a set of a set or something like that. Um, where, but basically you've got man, you've got country zone, you've got man match, you got zone match. Aranda runs a zone match. Um, Kirby Smart runs kind of a hybrid, is starting to run a hybrid between the two. He's the only person that I think is doing that at any significant level. Um, and Gary Patterson, you know, the late Gary Patterson, may he rest in peace. Uh, Gary Patterson, Nick Saban, <laughs> and Venables, they, they all run a man match. So at the end of the day, it's the same, it's the same idea of we want to play man, we want to match up on these routes and play man principles inside of those routes. That, that's 100 percent accurate. What um Venables prefers a lot of uh, middle of the field close coverages on standard downs compared to um Saban. Saban historically has really wanted to rely on his front to stop the run. I mean, if people remember from 10 years ago, they had these just behemoths on the defensive line. Uh, you know, true old school 3-4-2 gappers. Um, and the reason for that was Saban did not like having to bring the extra guy into the box if he could avoid it to do to handle the run fit. So they wanted as big and beefy of a defensive line as possible. Venables kind of, kind of cuts the baby in half at, at a very high level in that you know, he wants to run a four down front so he can get better pass rush and, and make make the job of that defensive end. If he's got his hand on the ground full time, he's a dedicated rusher. It's an easier position to learn than the jack. 
It just is. Um, so, but he wants to be able to do that. But he also, he's much more willing to bring a guy into the box and run middle of the field closed on standard downs. I mean, even uh, against he, Iowa State, who has an absolutely atrocious offensive line, they can't run the ball. One of the things that really stood out to me is that OU was still playing a lot of cover three and spinning a safety yeah. down into the box. And so if you're yeah. spinning a safety down into the box against Iowa State, they're going to spin a safety down into the box against Baylor. <laughs> like yeah, They're going to want to stop that run. <laughs> yeah. So they're going to be they're going to be in cover three from the beginning of the game, um, and so you're left with a lot of cover three means you're 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 really looking at verticals up the seams is is that that's the weakness you get two verticals up the seams and there's just there's not up there's not a, the, the safety has to pick one and you you can't be in two places at once. So I think what you're going to see a lot of is it's probably going to be a lot of eleven personnel in this game because you could you could play action take shots. With one or both of your um, inside deployed men, whether it's the wide, whether it's the attached tight end or it's the wide receiver, you put those guys in high stress, you know, basically in high stress situations. They've got to pick, they have to pick a route, and then you attack where where that individual is not. Um, the other thing with that though, that they like they are going to they, they don't really have an option. Like, I think going back to like what you said against Iowa State, like even from watching that game. Iowa State is a terrible offense, and they were still able to run the ball a little bit on Oklahoma. And I just, I, I Oklahoma. This goes back to what we said a few minutes ago about about Baylor at Tech, which is it's very rare. It's so rare to see an offensive line just execute. I just don't think that Oklahoma. I just don't see a way that Oklahoma is able to like stop Baylor's offense in this game. I really don't because Baylor's the last two games, Baylor. We, we now have two games of Baylor executing consistently for 60 plus game for 60 plus plays with only like a handful of like yeah. one will just happen like that option play to reach. That's just a they're, sco- that's a they're they're getting inside the opponent 40 yard line every drive that they basically don't turn the ball over. And that's that's pretty yeah. much how it works right now. That is you're right. And that like Oklahoma's defense is not nearly as good as Tex. Yeah. It's just not. No. And so it, it just, it, it's just hard. A quick thing here, Jeff, like, uh, like actually quick, um, like tech, like I talked about that stat success rate earlier, tech's defense on the year is giving up a 40% overall success rate. Like that's very good. Uh, OU's on the year is like 52%. So like more than half the time offensive. So that is just like a gargantuan gap. It's just an example of like, you can kind of chunk out six, seven, eight yard gains against this OU defense. And they are a little better than that in the last weeks, but they're still not good. And I, I guess because we need to go a little more quickly, I'll, I'll just pause there and say, Oklahoma's going to have to commit so many resources to stopping the run in this game. Otherwise, they're going to be giving up like six to eight yards of carry over the course of the game yeah. that they're hugely vulnerable to big shots. So this is a like this is this is a game where I think you just run like you run into the nine man fronts. Like I think they can get four to five running against their nine man fronts. I really do. Mm-hmm. And so I, this is a game where I think you just run into those nine man fronts and then three times a drive, you play action and take a deep shot and you're probably gonna hit one out of three of those deep balls. Um right now. And so you just move the ball. I I, I think they're gonna be able to run all over Obama. I really do. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to see whether Monterey Baldwin's back. Uh, Aranda mentioned that. Say that again. I think he's he's either he's going to be back or it's looking very good. Yeah, Aranda said it was looking good on the Monday presser. He said the Thursday practice would be crucial, and instead it was a hamstring injury, which is always for any of those quick twitchy guys, always very concerning. 
my expectation would be given that he's coming back from a hamstring injury, he's a guy who'll probably see closer to like 20 snaps on the game as opposed to playing, you know, 50, 60 snaps. Um, and you can kind of rotate him in with Gavin Holmes. So anyway, I mean, on that point real quick, they don't, this is not the game where they need him every snap. Right. Like this would be the game for him to do that because if they're going to run a lot of the cover three stuff, you really want, you really want Hal and you probably want Holmes because they're going to press on that. And mm-hmm. Hal's, Hal is a better contested catch guy right now. Mm-hmm. When you really need, when you really need Baldwin is anytime you get into those passing down situations and they want to run, like, you know, you're starting to get those like man blocks. Mm-hmm. That's when they really need Baldwin this game. They don't need him to do 60 plays. They need him to do like 20 to 30. Yeah. Probably would be my guess. So, yeah, I uh, just kind of rounding off this side of the ball. I think, uh, my expectation for how the OU staff is defensive staff is seeing this game is, you know, we know we're not going to stop Baylor on every drive. They're probably looking for some tells that way in big situations, they can get Baylor behind the chains, uh, whether it's trying to predict when they run that play action and they can get the blitz at the advantageous angle and beat the running back or tight end and pass protection, that kind of stuff. So I think avoiding big negative plays is going to be a big key for Baylor. I think that is the constant tension that we've seen Jeff Grimes be in with this offense. It was kind of a pit in that BYU game of like, look, when we're running for four to five yards of carry, at what point is it worth it to take those shots? You got to take the shots at some point. Um, but I think this will be a game where, like you said, Baylor can run into those fronts and eke out three, four, five yards of carry and probably mostly convert on every drive. And so you have to, I think you when and where they take those shots is going to be crucial this game because you don't want to end up in a second and 13 for no reason when you know you could get in a second and six and run into that nine man front. So that'll be, that'll be an interesting tension for Grimes to deal with there. Uh, Let's flip to the other side of the ball. Um, I don't know if you uh, were able to watch that clip from the Aranda presser where he talked about Levy's uh, offense. I figured that'd be a good launching point uh, for you, Jeff. Yeah. So I, of course, it's just, I mean, it's, I'm just like, I'm complimenting Dave Rand on noticing something. Yeah. But that is obviously the correct statement um, that what, what they're doing. I, I think. Um, Can you summarize it real quick, Jeff? Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, I should have done that. Um, you're I was just assuming we else not seen it. So uh, there's a pre- question asked to Dave Miranda um, in the press conference on Monday. What's the difference between the offense that you're seeing from Ole Miss right now versus the offense um, or excuse me, the offense that you see from Levy at Oklahoma this year compared to the offense that they saw in Ole Miss, you know, obviously last year in the Sugar Bowl. And um, the big, he, Aranda talked about how in the earlier in the season, it seemed like they were running what Levy traditionally ran. And, you know, Levy, for those that, there may be a few that don't know, he, he was under art um, for a while and then got hooked up with Lane Kiffin after 2016 and kind of had been, he'd been with him for a little while. So he's very heavily influenced by, um, by uh, Lane Kiffin's offensive style, which is a lot of personnel changes and getting to getting running. Lane Kiffin's specialty is running is always call is, is play calling in terms of he's always able to call the exact right play at the worst possible time for a defense. But the other one is he's very good at running the same, concepts out of differing personnel groups and so you you're not you're not always expecting the same concept because you wouldn't expect this group of personnel players to try to get into that route combination or to get into this particular um scheme if that makes sense it's, it's kind of hard to describe it that that's what he's really good at and so they the webby tried to kind of run with that at the start of the year and it, I mean, it just, it wasn't working. It was too much stuff like way out on the edges. It wasn't enough interior. And so they, they changed back. And I think for them correctly, um, 
they changed back and they started running a lot more of what Oklahoma ran last year, which is what the, that offense is comfortable with, which is a lot more um, power scheme. It's, and it's really more game. about what their offensive line is comfortable with, true. Yeah, that's 100% correct. So it's a lot more condensed sets. It's a lot more um, guys close in, not nearly as much space, a lot more gap scheme stuff, um, which is what the offensive line is very comfortable with. Off, that offensive line is not comfortable with the zone scheme stuff. Um, and it that just that takes a season. I mean, it just does. So um, they they're running a lot more of that to try to get something positive out of this year. Um, but I don't know. You know, that's that's the biggest difference. It's it's going to look a lot more similar to what they saw under Pat Riley from a run game perspective. It's not the exact same thing, but it's a lot more similar. They don't play. Action you just dropped really. a you just dropped a Pat Riley, Jeff. That's uh, your brain's working on overtime here. <laughs> yeah, uh, Riley. Thank you. Uh, but what they saw from Lincoln Riley, but it's it's going to look a lot more similar, but it, the passing game stuff is all the same. So they're just getting at it from much more condensed sets. I think that they, Venables clearly has looked at that and decided that the Hun style doesn't protect his defense, so he doesn't want to do it. Like he wants to do it in stretches, and he want, but he wants to be able to execute. He's a defensive guy. He, he He's going to believe, same thing as a Randall, like they believed in a um, complementary style of approach. So, or complimentary style, not complimentary in theology. Wow. Thank God we're on a Baylor podcast. Otherwise, that joke would never work. Um, but, you know, there's a, that, that's, that's what they want to get to. So, I, I'm not, you know, with Gabriel back there, they're a much, they're a much more deadly team. I mean, he's, he's the only real, he's the only real QB they have. I will say, like, if he goes out, like, I'm not to the point where I'm like, y'all can go take a nap. But if he, <laughs> yeah. if he's not out of the game, like, there's, there's, the number of routes to an Oklahoma win if Gabriel is not in is like yeah. it's five turnovers in the second half. Like that's that's the route right now for them. Um it's still very much a learning process for them. They are not that offensive line is not comfortable with the zone scheme stuff that they want to do. And one of the things that that Webby got from Kiffin is they want to be multiple in terms of how they attack. And so they don't have that tool in their bag this year because the they haven't been able to learn that zone technique and with so much else going on, they've made the decision to do what Baylor did last year. Baylor simplified the playbook last year to get in a few things and, and do them well. That that appears to be what Webby has done with this as well, which is smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if you can defeat their 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 power, excuse me, their gap scheme stuff in the run game and slow them down, I don't think that Gabriel's Gabriel doesn't have the ability to sit back there and hold up like long term over the course of this. So if they if they can stop the run like they've been able to do against Kansas and Texas Tech as well, if they're able to stop the run like they did in those two situations, I think Baylor's gonna be able to hold them hold them up pretty well. They just they're they're not Oklahoma's just not quite there yet. Yeah. And this is it sounds like I'm it sounds like I'm downplaying Oklahoma. I really kinda am like there are definitely ways for Oklahoma to win this game. I'm not saying that they're not, but this is like I think this is probably one of the worst teams that Baylor's going to play this year. And it's hard for anyone to get around that fact because the name on the front of the jersey says Oklahoma. But I just – Oklahoma's not very good this year. They're going to be really good next year, I think. I I, I, I like Venables more than I like um, – Sark. Sark, thank you. I was about to say what's-his-face in Austin. If I – at gunpoint, if I was being forced to pick between those two, who would be in the better position by, let's say, 2024? 20, um, 
then like I would I'd pick Venables all day long. Yeah. So I, I, this is not an anti-Venables thing. Like it takes a year when you change. Like Lincoln Riley did not run a very physical culture up there. Um, I know that they had to do a lot in terms of rebuilding how that team operates and functions and, and, and prepares during the week. And it just it seems like Venables, even when you go back to listen to some of his his press conferences before the season, it really almost sounds like they're punting on the season. Like he's he's just kind of like he's doing the expectations management game of we just got to you know we just got to figure out how to uh, practice hard. That's all I care about. I mean, he's doing a lot of that kind of stuff. He's not talking about Big Twelve titles. He's not talking about making the playoffs. Like that's all fan coverage stuff. Yeah. When you look at Venables, Venables is like, yeah, we just got to figure out how to like do this technique before we can figure out how to win a game. That's really where he's at. That. And so I, I think they they are going to be great next year. This is not going to be a this is not going to be like a walkover win. But it, like it also really wouldn't surprise me if like we roll out of this and Baylor wins by thirty points. Like I, I really like I would be more surprised at a loss than I would be a Baylor win by let's say twenty four points. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I I uh, I wrote this in one sentence. Um, I said, if you had to sum up their offense in one sentence, I think they're basically, they've become a power rushing team who they utilize the QB in the run game, who they take shots and they throw screens outside. That's, that's kind of what it seems like their offense is to me. So I think really when I, when I thought about really trying to crystallize, doing a point prediction, all that kind of stuff, um, to me, their question in this game is I feel really comfortable with Baylor stopping the shot plays and stopping the perimeter screen game. So for me, it really all kind of comes down to how well is Baylor able to stop a first and 10 gap scheme rush? Uh, because Eric Gray, their running back, is really good. Um, He's obviously, if Baylor's defensive front plays like they did in Morgantown, like Eric Gray is going to rush for 300 yards. Um, thankfully, it seems like Baylor is not doing that anymore. But I think a lot of what's going to happen in this game is because they consistently use Dylan Gabriel on that zone read game, um, Baylor's going to be at a numbers disadvantage in the box. Baylor wants to play with those safeties back to protect against the big plays. So they're consistently going to be in these situations where they play with a light box. Uh, we saw Baylor dominate Oklahoma's rush game last year playing with a light box, and they did against Jeff Levy's Ole Miss offense last year playing with a light box. However, when you play with that light box, um, that, I feel weird because I've said that phrase like seven times in the past 30 seconds, but when you play that style – um, you really need two things. You need your defensive line to really play that technique that you were talking about earlier, that react attack. They have to play sound up front. And then you really need one of your linebackers to straight up make a play. Um, because again, you're at a numbers disadvantage. You need those linebackers to either beat the offensive lineman to the spot, blow him up and get to the running back. Otherwise it just always kind of sets up the running back to have a four yard gain. Um, yeah. I think Baylor can survive with giving up four yard gains to Eric Gray this game, as long as you know they're not giving up the shot plays as well. Um, but I, 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 if they only give if, if Gray has twenty two touch, touches and he's averaging like four or fewer yards a game, like Baylor's oh, yeah. going to win this handily. Yeah, I just think there's going to be a lot of situations where Gray likes to bounce, and he actually is a running back who properly knows when to bounce. Uh, yeah. And so I think there's going to be a lot of situations where it's like Matt Jones has a one V one with gray on the edge and he needs to bring him down for a three yard gain. And if it's not a three yard gain, it's going to be a 13 yard game. Or maybe it's the safety coming down, filling late. Like there's going to be a lot of those one V one opportunities and gray is such a good athlete that I think that's going to kind of be where the game is decided for like, is OU struggling to get to 24 points or are they rolling down the field? Cause they can just run the ball and on their way to 34, 37, 40 points. So 
Well, that's going to do it for us on the TD pod uh, for Travis and Jeff. I'm recording this solo as an outro here because, well, uh, we ran out of time there and planned to come back for an additional 15 or 20 minutes. But Jeff and I just couldn't make that um, that timing work with our schedules. Uh, so unfortunately, this is going to have to be the end of things. Um, you know, be sure to check out Sikkim365 for, um, you know, all my articles this week. I, I, I dove into the, um, the matchups on both sides of the ball. Uh, along with the score prediction. Ultimately, in this one, I do feel really good about the fact that Baylor is going to really going to be able to take away uh, OU's pass game. And I think they're going to be able to take away both their kind of quick perimeter game and their deep sideline um, and deep shots down the middle on the sideline. And so I think the game is really going to be decided, as we were just talking about there, um, with how well Baylor can just stop OU's rushing attack with their great running back, Eric Gray, on first and 10, you know, second and four, all these kind of very standard downs. Um, you know, I think Gray is going to get his. He's a great back. Uh, OU has a good offensive line, and they use the quarterback as a rushing threat. So I think OU is going to be able to rush the ball somewhat successfully. I think the problem that they're going to run into is going to be when they can't really open up their passing attack the way they want to they might have to resort to running Gabriel a little bit more than they want to, which exposes him to some hits. Obviously you don't wish injury on him, but I think that is something to watch in this game if they're forced to run him a lot. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if Baylor's defense is in a spot where they're able to stop OU's rushing attack for two to three yards at a time, or if it's more like four five, six, because uh, those are obviously two massively different games. Ultimately, I feel pretty good about, um, Baylor being able to get enough negative plays and enough uh, run stuffs to make OU's offense really kind of hampered and one-dimensional. So I do think that Baylor ends up controlling this game somewhat at arm's length by the time we get to halftime and then not necessarily cruises to an easy finish, but you know it clearly looks like the better team and has things under control. And ultimately, I think it's because Baylor's going to be able to have a lot more options on their own offense as far as being able to pass or run mix up situations and get what they want on any down and distance. Whereas I think OU is going to be a little bit more hamstrung in, in, in so far as their ability to um, only rush the ball uh, instead of being able to attack downfield the way they want to. And so I'm not going to pretend to speak for Jeff here. Uh, maybe he'll be able to get something out before the game starts. Sorry that uh, this ending is a little bit, of a, of a wet blanket on top of what was a pretty great episode between the two of us. Uh, but thank you all for listening. And until next time for Jeff and I, this is Travis. Thanks for listening to the TD pod.